How are we doing this morning? A little reminder, Pastor Eric mentioned it about two weeks. The Resurrection Factor Fiction, 630. It'll be really, really good. I think it's extremely edifying to examine the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, I know Pastor Eric is going to have a lot of really good information and uh, it's just going to be very worshipful that it is a real literal event and that's important because we can have a real literal hope and eternal life with Christ because he died and rose. Um, Our section this morning is out of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the many blessings you give to us. Your Son, eternal life, your grace. Lord, we praise you for that. Father, however we're coming to you today, either in good places or through struggles, may we do it with an attitude of praise. Lord, may we see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Justification, peace, hope, suffering, glory, the Holy Spirit. All of those things are present in this passage this morning. This five-verse section is incredibly dense. Each of those topics is a subject that could stand on its own as a sermon. Really, each of those subjects is something that entire books have been written about. We obviously won't have time to develop every idea of this passage as fully this morning as maybe we would like. But it's valuable to see how these verses fit together. There is never anything haphazard about the order of Scripture. Romans itself is a very logically oriented book. The ideas build off of each other. When I preached out of Romans at the end of last year, I recommended reading Romans in a a, a sitting sometimes, just reading all the way through. Because again, to see the flow of the book, how one idea, one chapter leads to the next. But a focus for us this morning will be again on these five verses and how they fit together in this section. Really the main idea of this passage is that hope and suffering helps us grow in hope. Hopefulness and suffering helps us grow in hope. To give a little bit of background, 
In Romans 4, Paul's talking about Abraham and how it was Abraham's faith that was what justified him before God. God had made a promise to Abraham of land, offspring, and blessing. Citing Genesis 15, Paul talks in Romans 4 about how Abraham believed and how that was counted to him as righteousness. As Paul winds down chapter 4, I have it on the screen. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So he's talking about the death of Jesus. Jesus died so that we could be justified before God. And then we come to chapter 5. As a result of this reality, that is, of the justification, as a result of these facts in chapter 4, Paul begins chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just to get us on the same page, the entry point for salvation is faith in Jesus. It is by faith that you are justified by God. That is, that you are given right legal standing before God. The righteousness of Jesus is given to you as though it were your own righteousness. Not only can we be justified by faith, but to be justified, you must have faith. It is not that we are saved by what we do, but we are saved by what Christ has done. He pulls us up. Salvation is entirely because of Jesus, entirely through Jesus. And for the Christian, for the person who has faith in Jesus, which Paul assumes in this passage, since we have been justified by faith, Paul gets at part of the result of justification. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. It's the end of hostility with God. It's a restoration of harmony with God. It had been lost due to sin, but we have peace, as the text says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a treaty that we get to enjoy, but that we didn't write. It was written in the blood of Jesus. It was a peace that he had to go to battle for and die for so that we could have. There is no other way to have peace with God except through Christ. No one else restores that. No other faith gives that. And you can't bring it about by your own efforts, your own goodness. We are sinful and separated from God, hostile to God. As Ephesians 2 says, You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus is the only road, the only way, the only path that leads us to God. Looking at verse 2 of our section, continuing to talk about the result of justifying faith. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we are justified by faith. We also have access to God's grace as a result of faith. What does that mean? To have access to his grace. It's the same as having access to God. And again, we have that access through Jesus. To the praise of Jesus that through his life and his death, his blood that was shed for sin, his body that was broken for sin, the penalty that he bore for sin, all of that so that we could have access to God. And again, there's no other way. Paul says, this grace in which we stand, it is a reference to our standing before God. The present state of a person who has faith in the gospel. Because justification happens by faith. Jesus saves you from the sins you have committed, the sins you struggle with today, and you will be saved from your sins in the future because of Christ. And so we are enabled to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice that we are justified, that we have been forgiven of all the sins we have committed, and because of our justification through faith in Christ, we have the hope and the assurance that we will be justified in the future, hope of glory and the presence of God. You have to have faith to be saved. Like I said, you cannot earn it. You can't deserve it on your own. The only way you can have access to God is through believing in the gift of grace that God offers to sinful people. Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. He really died, and he really rose from the dead. And because he rose, we can have the confidence of eternal life with him. Justification by faith is a fundamental doctrine of Protestantism. Yet, Beginning in verse 3, Paul seems to almost change the subject. And what I want to do is explain why these ideas are actually related. Verse 2 ends by saying, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God as people justified by faith, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in our sufferings. What does that mean? Why does Paul talk about suffering in a section where he began talking about justification? To make the connection between the two, I think it's important to understand something about faith. A lot of people mock the idea of justification by faith alone. Non-Christians say, so you can just say that you believe and then just go on and do whatever you want for the rest of your life? How easy is that? It fundamentally misses the point. The faith has to be genuine. And if the faith is genuine, God gives you his Holy Spirit. And it is through the Spirit that we are sanctified, that is, that we are made holy. You cannot be a Christian and not have God's spirit. There's no such thing. At least not today. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says... I got off subject. 
in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Justification and sanctification go together. You cannot be sanctified if you haven't been justified, because to be justified is to have the Spirit through which you are sanctified. Make sense? But if you haven't been justified, then you can't be sanctified because you wouldn't have a spirit. So sanctification results from true faith. There are passages in the Bible where we see how sanctification plays out in life. For instance, love for God and love for your neighbor are certainly important ways how the true Christian life is to be lived. In Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the point of the passage is that for a person who has the Spirit, which is synonymous with a person who has faith, the Spirit of God working in a person produces fruit. Virtues like love, joy, peace, patience. Fruit is necessary. Jesus says in Matthew seven sixteen, you will recognize them by their fruits. And in our section this morning, Paul talks about justification and then immediately goes to the subject of suffering. And the reason why he does this is to show us that suffering and suffering well is the part of the process through which God sanctifies us. The passage says, We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's not that we rejoice in suffering for the sake of suffering. Christianity is not a call to be masochistic. It's not that you break your arm and you're celebrating. It's not that suffering is good in itself. It's the result of suffering that God works for good. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. It may seem counterproductive. Rejoicing in suffering. Many people get frustrated with God when they're struggling, when they're suffering. It can be so easy to have this sense of, where are you, God, when you're going through difficulty? Or, why is this happening to me? Or, it's not supposed to be this way. The suffering is part of life. It rains on both the saint and the sinner. And the Christian life is one that is lived in a fallen world, where we still sin. And have to deal with the ramifications of that. Where other people still sin. And where we have to sometimes deal with the ramifications of that. And where there is still sickness and illness and disease and hurt and death. We aren't in a bubble as Christians where we no longer have to deal with those things. Unfortunately, that's the way many in our world act in the face of suffering. Some people in churches suffer. And it's almost like they'd just rather go it alone than with God. 
But there's something that we have to understand. That the Bible doesn't promise that the Christian life will be free from suffering. In fact, the Bible literally promises the opposite. What Paul is saying here is consistent with the rest of the New Testament. It gets talked about over and over and over and over again. James tells us to look at trials as reasons for joy. James verses, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Notice he says when, not if. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So in James, the result of trials is that it refines a person. It is meant for a person to actually be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God uses suffering in our lives to help us grow. Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, he, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The author of Hebrews says in verse 8 that it is because we are children of God that God disciplines us. That that is the reason. So it's not that he's punishing you, but that God disciplines us because we are his children. And again, a mindset that is totally counterintuitive today. Would you think a parent was a good parent if their children never faced adversity, if, there was, if they were always just swooping in, even when the kid made a mistake, always just fixing it? If everything were always smooth, always easy, always going our way, we would never grow. We'd never mature in our faith. We so often think that life is all about happiness. It's not. That is not what the Bible tells us that the Christian life is all about. It's all about knowing God and loving and serving God and his people. If life were all about happiness, if this life were all there was, then yes, suffering would interfere with that. But suffering does not interfere with knowing God. And in fact, it can sometimes be the times where we're suffering the most, where we grow the most in our relationship with God. Some people struggle and suffer, and they turn their backs on God. It's tragic. But for others, they grow in a deeper relationship with God than they ever thought possible when going through the greatest challenges. You name it, people have been able to love and follow God through it. And again, 
It's not that suffering is good for its own sake. It's that the result, the strength that comes from the tension, the greater relationship we can have with God, what can oftentimes seem to be the biggest blessing. A radical idea that is puzzling to the world. When you lift weights, you don't actually get stronger from the workout itself. It's that when you lift weights, it creates these little micro tears in your muscles. And after you work out, the muscles repair themselves. And as a result of that, you get stronger. Faith gets strengthened through the heavy lifting. If we never face difficult situations again, then we never grow. And different types of workouts work different muscles. Different ways how we're tested strengthen us in different ways. Sometimes it's not until the dust has settled that we can look back and truly appreciate what God was doing in us. Sometimes you don't see the beauty of the journey until you're on the top of the mountain and able to see where the difficult path was leading you to appreciate the beauty that it brought. I'm sure some of us have experienced things that were extremely difficult at the time, things that were horrible, things we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy, but things we can look back to, and as hard as it was at the time, we can see how it helped shape us, how it helped make us into who we are today. We have different struggles. Again, different struggles for different people produce different results. But, the, but for the person who is in Christ, who is justified by faith in the Lord, it is always for a purpose. One more scripture on the subject that I think is a good illustration. 1 Peter chapter 1. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is under the hottest fire that the metal is refined. Also, I think it's important that Peter says, you have been grieved by various trials. The New Testament uses words like grieved, suffering, trials. We can acknowledge that difficult things are difficult. But what the passage tells us is that a good God can use temporary suffering for good purposes. If you're going through something right now, I'm not saying, and more importantly, this passage is not saying to just be stoic, to just white-knuckle it, just pretend everything is okay. Again, it's not a call to be masochistic or to love pain and suffering. But to know that God is at work, even when you're suffering, in the good seasons, we should praise the Lord. And in the times of struggle, we should still praise the Lord. God isn't far off. In difficulty, commit yourself to turning to God with greater urgency. Don't turn your back on God. Don't put your walk, on, walk with God on hold until things get better. Don't give God the silent treatment. Because the only one who loses in that is you. Run to God when you're suffering. The author of Hebrews said, All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you suffer well? Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. We grow in endurance through struggles. Endurance produces character. It produces a greater fortitude in us. The perspective that this is meant to inspire is meant to influence our Christian character and personal holiness as we experience God's grace through our sufferings. Growing in godliness. The quality we are as followers of Christ grows when facing tests. At least it's meant to. And character produces hope. It can be really easy for a person to just say that they're a Christian. To just pray some prayer, but not necessarily believe it. And then to go on with your life and not pay much attention to God. Not really think about God. Not really live a life devoted to God. Especially in our society, where there are so many luxuries, so much to do, so many distractions. But as we are tested by God, we are enabled to grow in the hope of God. Seeing Christians suffer well is encouraging to the faith of those around us. I'm sure almost everyone, if not everyone in this room, has known somebody who's had tremendous adversity or difficulty and been steadfast in their faith in God through it, trusting in the goodness of the Lord through it. That's, that's encouraging. Suffering well gives an opportunity to force us to focus on what really matters. Again, the purpose of life is knowing God. And in the times of the most difficulty, we are forced to realize our need for God in a way that we can never be if life is always easy. If things are always going well, it's really easy and tempting for us to want to take the credit for that. Feel like we've done that, earned that, deserved that. The hope that is produced is a hope in the goodness and grace and life that is found with God through the gospel. It's not an earthly hope, but a heavenly hope. Again, perhaps you've seen people who seem to, at times, have an almost unbelievable, unshakable faith, even through the most harrowing of circumstances. The text says, hope does not put us to shame. In the Old Testament, being put to shame is a reference to God's judgment. That is not what awaits the people of the Lord. And the reason? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The hope we have, the growth that we experience, it is not something that we do on our own. It is supernatural. God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Again, suffering is part of life. You can do it well, or you can do it poorly. You might be going through some things right now. Any number of things. 
problems with your boss, problems at home, problems with your kids, problems with your finances, problems with your health. Maybe it's a disappointment over something that never happened or a dream that was never fulfilled. Maybe it's something that happened a long, long time ago, but it was never really dealt with at the time. Everyone has a cross to bear. There is so much darkness and pain and hurting in our world, and pain is painful. And the Lord is good. Every day of our lives, every situation we face, be that something positive or something we struggle with, is an opportunity to trust the Lord and what he's doing in your life. An opportunity to praise him for what he has done, for the blessings he has given you. Most importantly for a person who is in Christ, for the blessing of life through Christ. Again, it can be easy to get disheartened. But the attitude should be one of gratitude to the Lord who is all loving, all good, and all knowing. Part of the reason that the trials and struggles produce these results over the long haul is that people who have had war times where they've had to grow with God have also had more times where they've had the opportunity to see God at work in their lives. Again, it's encouraging to the soul to see God at work, especially in the times when it appears to the rest of the world that there's no way anything good could possibly come from a situation. Our passage this morning doesn't say we are called to tolerate our sufferings, but to rejoice in our sufferings. Because the end result is meant to be hope. Hope in the goodness of God. Hope in the salvation that comes from the Lord. Hope that we have a future in the presence of the Lord and a place where there is no suffering, where there are no trials, where there is no pain or sickness or death. But that problem probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you today if you're not hopeful. If you're not trusting in the goodness of the Lord and pursuing him daily. We have a Savior who died for us. We have a Savior who died for sinful people so we could be with God. And we have a Savior who can personally relate to our suffering. Because Jesus also faced trials. He faced temptations. He was betrayed by one of his inner circle. An angry mob demanded Jesus be crucified. The Roman government unjustly allowed for him to be crucified. Jesus knew a thing about suffering. And he knows the areas where you're suffering today. He knows the areas where you struggle. But he faced the greatest injustice of all. And he can relate Trials are not the time to distance yourself from God and his church. That's the last thing you should do. It is in the trials that you should more and more be living for God, trusting in God, growing with God. If you're currently in a difficult season, actively remind yourself that God is working in this. God knows your struggle. God hasn't forsaken you. God is with you. And while it can be hard to see through the storm, 
to know that it is an opportunity to grow more and more into the person who God wants you to be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let us rejoice in all seasons and circumstances. Because in all those situations, you are God and you are good. In Jesus' name.